welcome to To Grow Good, a podcast of conversion stories, to share encounters with a living God, to bear good fruit, a place where others can meet or be inspired to meet God. So get cozy, lean in, and listen close. Miracles are at work, and He wants to meet you too. My name is Rachel Smith, and I'm your host. Now let's start growing some good. Hello, friend, and welcome to another episode of To Grow Good. Uh, I'm so excited this week. We are going to be hearing the conversion story of Erin Kinsella. Erin is a consecrated virgin of the Archdiocese of Toronto. She experienced a powerful conversion during the sacrament of confession after falling away from the practice of the faith during high school and university. After working in ministry for over 15 years, Erin now spends her time speaking and writing mainly on the topics of suffering and theology of the body. She is a co-host of the In the Thicket podcast, which is a podcast for the suffering which is all of us. I am just so excited to get to hear Aaron's full story. I've heard bits and pieces here and there, and I was just so moved by what Aaron has shared in our conversations that we've had. We've we've connected over Catholic podcasts and different things that we've done together, and I have been itching to just hear Aaron's story in full. So without any other delay, let's welcome Aaron to To Grow Good. Yay! Hi, Erin. <laughs> Hi, Rachel. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for saying yes to sharing your story with us yes. all. Yes, it's so it's a real gift. Thanks for inviting me. It's always I find it's always like a like the Lord always works in double blessings, you know, because I get to share and then maybe it moves. He's doing something in somebody's heart, but also for me, it's every time you share your story of what the Lord's done, you're like. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah. he did that in my life. That's crazy. You know, so it's yeah. a reminder of how good he is all the time. Yes. I feel like every time I share my story too, it's like something else pops out to my own heart. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like it's like the Holy Spirit's like, hello, remember when this happened? Remember totally. that thing that's happening right now? Yes. Do you have faith that it's going to work out? Yes. Yes, definitely. Yeah, this is totally the reason why, like, in whatever youth ministry, young adult ministry, I always used to say to people at the end of retreats or whenever there was something, like, big that happened, like, write it down. Like, write Mm -hmm. down what has happened so you can go back. And, like, Ignatius, St. Ignatius said that all the time. Like, you can ruminate on the fruits of these consolations and, like, draw from that consolation after and after because the evil one always comes in and tries to steal the fruit that's there and make us think, like, did that? really happened God really work in that way so it's a good uh it's a good thing to have that like physical you know presence that physical thing that we can go back to too yeah yeah Yeah, I really do believe that our story is a gift that God gives each Mm -hmm. one of us 
And then we get to gift it to others, like, because it's a gift when you hear someone's story too. Mm -hmm. It's so fortifying for your own faith. Um, And you just naturally reflect on what God's done in your life when you hear what God is doing in others. Mm -hmm. And I just love that about hearing and sharing people's stories. So thank you for for saying yes. But here we are chatting away. But could you just start us out by sharing with everybody who you are and a little bit about what you do right now. Yes. So um, I am uh, in my early 40s. I am a consecrated virgin. Uh, I was consecrated in the Archdiocese of Toronto on the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross in 2019. So I am almost three years married to the Lord. So I'm, for those who don't know what consecrated virginity is, and please, I am totally open. So if you have any questions at any point to ask me about that vocation or whatever, definitely I'm open for that. Um, But the long and the short of it is that it's the oldest form of consecrated life in the church. And so right at the beginning, there were women in the church, um, St. Agnes, St. Lucy, like uh, St. Catherine of Siena, like all people like throughout, throughout the ages. Um, but especially at the beginning of the church, who really felt called to belong to the Lord alone. So they were considered spouses of Jesus and there was a right for them, like an R-I-T-E, not a human right, <laughs> but the Catholic church right, like liturgy for them to be able to be consecrated, to belong to the Lord. And then their whole, um, everything about their existence was meant to then be a, a, in love and service to their neighbor and to um, and to serve the church primarily through prayer, especially for the diocesan bishop and, and the priest and the people of God, wherever they were living. So it kind of went out of use as religious communities kind of started to come up um, because it was definitely unsafe for women to kind of live on their own and was a bit unusual, like in at, at the beginnings of Christianity. But then at the second vatican council it was there was this movement of the holy spirit and these women around the world who were coming up to their bishops and being like hey like i feel like this like i'm called to belong to the lord but i don't feel called to like a religious order per se um and so uh, they actually brought back this rite of consecration so now there are about 2000 women uh, 2000 consecrated virgins in the world but so many it's like exponentially increasing all the time and there are um there were nine there are nine consecrated nope now there are 11 consecrated virgins in the archdiocese of toronto but i think there are like another 15 or something like that that are that are in various stages of inquiry or formation or things so there's lots of the holy spirit is doing lots of things so if you haven't heard of consecrated virginity you will probably hear much more about it in the church as the years go on yeah so i'm in ottawa now um living with my parents i had uh I have fibromyalgia. And so uh, a couple, yeah, um, about a year and a half ago now, maybe two years ago, a little bit longer than that, I started having more severe symptoms and then it became too much for me to work. And so I'm, uh, yeah, just in Ottawa with family, which has given me a lot of time. I finished my master's of uh, theological studies and my master's thesis on the theology of the suffering body. And now I'm working on turning that into a book and doing some speaking and lots on vocations and also on theology of the body and on suffering or on theology of the suffering body. Yeah. Wow. So that's kind of where I'm at now. I know it's crazy. Eh? Amazing. <laughs> I feel like there's so many things that just made my mind go like, oh, I just want to like sit down and have like wine and coffee with you for that's like days, right. which I guess is kind I of what we're doing. Wine, right so 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, I feel like we have so many things we could chat about. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe for even another time. I feel like just different topics you could totally. I could just pick your brain on. <laughs> um, speaking of, you mentioned asking questions. So if you are watching live, I see Patrick. Hey, y'all. He said hi, hi in the chat. If you are watching live, feel free to put comments, questions, reactions into the chat. And at the end, we will actually um, take your questions for Erin and she can answer the questions at the end. So Mm -hmm. as you listen to Erin's story, if there's any questions that come up or anything that you might want to ask her, feel free to put it into the chat. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's get into your story because where you are now is pretty just incredible. (laughs) And I want to know just like how the Lord moved in your life mm-hmm. to get you to where you are, especially toward, to, toward becoming a consecrated virgin. Yes. Um, but yeah, if you could just maybe – let's go back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. If you could share a little bit of background in the faith and what your faith yeah. was like growing up, like what was God like to you? And if you mm-hmm. had a moment – that you can remember where you first met or encountered God at a more personal level where you realized, yeah. that, wow, maybe he might actually be there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So we, I grew up Catholic. So my mom is Catholic. She's from a uh, like a bigger Catholic family. So six kids in her family. My grandparents used to, they used to uh, pray the rosary after supper every night as a family. And then if the kids came knocking on the door, like if the kids' friends came knocking on the door, they would like pull them inside the house and they'd have to say the rosary with the family, even if they were Protestants. So that was like a fun, um, they grew up in kind of that really Catholic environment. And my dad, he was adopted when he was young. And so he grew up in an Anglican house, but then he converted to Catholicism when I was about two years old. And he was in the RCMP. So my mom was a nurse. She'd graduated from nursing school in Ottawa. They were both originally from Ottawa. And she went up to Northern Manitoba to do some nursing work there. And my dad was stationed in Northern Manitoba. So these two people from Ottawa ended up meeting in Northern Manitoba and getting married. And I was born in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And then we lived like all, all kind of uh, all over Canada, I guess, really, we, I lived in BC for a while, Saskatchewan for a while. We lived in Nova Scotia when I was in high school. Um, I've lived in Ontario and Manitoba and yeah, so kind of all over Canada. And when I was growing up, I would say that there were so many gifts that were part of that. Like, um, I kind of got used to making friends or to getting over shyness in some senses. Otherwise, I would have had no friends. So it was good to be able to have that skill. And also to see lots of lots of different parts of Canada was really, I found such a gift. Um, and then there were also the big challenges. So I got really, really good at wearing masks and kind of having, being able to mold my life to what would be most acceptable to other people so that I could kind of have these friends. And it didn't like it wasn't to a point of um, where I couldn't be myself with my friends, but certainly it played a big role in um, in like the parts of me that wanted to be loved and wanted to be seen and wanted to be accepted. There was kind of that always that kind of vigilance there of like, am I doing things that are going to let me be loved and accepted by other people? And even though I grew up Catholic, Some places we lived across the country had Catholic schools. Some places didn't have Catholic schools. And so I did like 
catechism or, you know, those kind of things. But it wasn't really like none of it had teeth, I would say. Like yeah. it was all kind of like, we love Jesus and there's felt banners here. And yeah. So a lot of substance, you know, and that was like, that was like the eighties. So I would say, I mean, the seventies and the eighties were sixties, seventies, eighties, really not a good time. Even the nineties for, in terms of, um, catechesis, solid catechesis yeah. and things like that. It was still a lot of turmoil during that time from after the Second Vatican Council, you know, um, yeah. and figuring out what it means to actually take the beautiful documents that are part of that council and actually live them in a way that is authentic to the council. So yeah. and authentic to faith. Anyway, so um, so I didn't really have that. Like I did some kind of youth group stuff when I was in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, when I was in junior high and high school. And so I lived really this double life for a while of um like I would go to kind of these youth weekend retreats sometimes and then the same group of people that I would go to these retreats with we would go out drinking the next weekend and so it's like just this double life of you know like I went to even World Youth Day in 1997 in Paris um I got to go there, but again, it was with some of the friends who were Catholic, but they weren't practicing either. So then it was not like we were there for a vacation. We weren't there for, you know, for really any of the faith aspects of things. Right. And so, yeah, so there was a lot in high school, um, for sure, that was like full of like partying and bad relationships. And, but at the same time, I, I was also like a good kid like I had a job I graduated third in my class I I don't know didn't do anything super crazy but I think that search for like kind of like I was talking about like acceptance and um and like love and just like the deep desires that we have for joy or fun or humor like all of these things are good you know um so I was definitely looking for those things. And I went to university in Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is a beautiful place. If anybody's, I'm, I'm assuming that probably maybe most of the people who listen are from the U.S., but I don't, I don't know if that's the case. Anyways, you're all welcome to come to Nova Scotia. I'm not there right <laughs> now, but I would meet you there 100%. It's so beautiful. Have you been before, Rachel? No, but I would love to go. And it's funny that you say that because I feel like I feel like for sure the Holy Spirit's been doing something with to grow good in Canada because Mm. all of a sudden, just like a bunch of our guests started being Canadian, and I'm like, fun. All right, I guess we're doing this. Like, I don't know where, where or how this is happening, but it's just cool to watch like the little things that will pop up. So we're mostly United States, but we do Mm -hmm. have some Canadians, and we've had. Quite a nice. few Canadian guests, so. Nice, nice. Okay, well, then some of your Canadian listeners are Canadian guests or, or people who visit again. Like, if yeah. anybody's been to Halifax, you know it is, like, just the East Coast on Canada is so beautiful. Everybody's so friendly. And it's like if you stand on a street corner and there's somebody else there, by the time the light turns, you're going to, like, know their life story and be invited to their house for supper on Friday. Like, it's just <laughs> so such a great place yeah anyway so I went to university there and I did um an honors uh bachelor of science degree in microbiology and immunology and um I specialized in virology so I got to do super cool stuff like I did a work term at um the National Microbiology Laboratories in Winnipeg which is where they have the kind of like the CDC and USAMRID in the states and a place in Texas now where they have this big you know the big lab where they 
use the big blue spacesuits and they're working with Ebola and, you know, all of these deadly contagious viruses. So, so I got to work on this virus called um, Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever virus. Super cool. Uh, and I had like, I loved, I love, love, love the science stuff. And I was super passionate about that. But at the same time, also during university, it was like, I also was looking for the same things, at, you know, the joy and the fun and the all of those kind of things. But I mean, because I was living on my own, I wasn't living with my family anymore, then I could make all of my own decisions. And so it was like, okay, school and partying and school and relationships and school, and you know. And so that was a really, um, it was kind of in my undergrad when I started to have this realization that that comes kind of like the morning after a party when you're like, what am I doing? Like the fun that I had last night is now very obviously gone. Like whatever it is, like a hangover or something, or even just like there's this feeling of emptiness that comes after a fullness that is provided by the world, but doesn't have God in it, if that makes sense. So that was kind of like, I started having this kind of like itching inside that maybe there was something not quite right there. And then I went down to uh, the US. So I went down actually to Galveston, Texas. So hey, y'all in Texas, if you're listening. They uh, they were actually opening up a new level four lab there. So my supervisor from Winnipeg, he got a job down there heading the lab. And he he said, like, do you want to come down and do your PhD here? I was like, yep, sure. That sounds awesome. So I went down there to do this P- PhD in experimental pathology, super pumped. And it was awful. It was mm-hmm. like everything while I was there fell apart. I was in another country where things, I mean, things are largely similar in a lot of ways between Canada and the US, but not totally, you know, so there's definitely some big culture shifts that that I was kind of facing. And then my the relationship with my supervisor was just really awful. And, um, and I had like, I was really struggling with depression, which I had struggled with in high school and university to some degree. But while I was down in Texas, it was like everything was falling apart around me. And it got to this point where where, where that kind of emptiness that I had been feeling after like a party or relationship or like whatever it was, started to become more and more pronounced. And I felt like it was filling everything. So there was a sense of like existential, like, like this can't be all there is. And I actually started to go back to mass while I was down there because it was the only thing that was familiar. It was like, like I had always gone to mass when I was growing up, even when I didn't want to in high school, because my mom made me (laughs) because she would have cried if I didn't go. So like it, but it was something at least solid and familiar. Um, And so eventually I ended up having to leave there because I was just too sick. Like I was too sick to stay on my own. So I left like $100,000 of student loans and this program that um, that was everything that I had wanted to do and drove my car with the dog that I got down there and a few of my belongings, left everything else in my apartment and just left, um, wow. came back to Orangeville, Ontario and was just totally like in that state of 
like brokenness. Like I had no idea. All of these dreams that I had held were basically totally gone by the wayside. And it was like having this blank slate of my life, but not in a good way, like not in a way that I was like excited for, but in a way that was like terrifying. And I felt such shame and such guilt for, for not being able to cut it, not being able to make it down there. So, Mm. so um, I was home for a few days and my parents have always been so great, like so supportive. They're like never a word of, um, like the pressure that I put on myself was not pressure that they put on they put on me and the shame that I felt was not because they participated in that, which I'm so grateful for. Um, but a few days after I got home, there was this knock at the door. And so I I was I went to the door and there was nobody at the door. But when I opened it, there was this plate of cookies on the doorstep. And I picked it up and I was like, what is this? And it was like a plate of homemade cookies and like some cupcakes and stuff. And it had this note on it that said, hey, Aaron, looking forward to hanging out with you. Love St. Timothy's Life Teen. And I was like, hmm, that is so weird. (laughs) Why are these people bringing me cookies? (laughs) But really, like. I'm sure like some if there's anybody listening who's from a smaller town where there's maybe like one Catholic church, then you kind of get that, you know, like people know a little bit like what's going on in the town when people are around when they're mm-hmm. and I had met everybody who is kind of part of the church, whatever, when I would come for uh, Christmas or Easter to visit my family Um and my sister had been part of the youth group. So I, they were kind of, they kind of knew a little bit about me. So they just knew I was coming home. That's it. But yeah. I was actually like, as much as I was like weirded out by that, I was equally touched, I think, because yeah. nobody had ever done anything like that. Like it was always me trying to mold myself to fit in somewhere. And this was like people who were trying to, to in a sense like mold themselves to be a soft place for me to land which was like so weird um but I started hanging out with them and they had like they had no idea what had been part of my life in terms of sin or in terms of like anything really but just the kind of acceptance and the love that I that I encountered when I was there was such a gift and I started helping out with the youth group and I started then like hanging out with all the young adults who were the core team members and whatever. And so like the exciting thing that we would do on a Friday night is like go out for coffee at Tim Hortons and then go to adoration at the parish. That's all. That <laughs> sounds like, like a great night. Right? I know <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. Like come bring it. Tim <laughs> Hortons t- and some adoration. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Exactly. It's perfect. You know? Yeah. Mm. But we also had these conversations because I'm definitely somebody who is like the the beautiful way that our church looks at um, at faith and reason is absolutely something that that is such a huge draw for me because it's my science brain, you know, like things that are reasonable um, are so appealing to me, like truth, you know, like the, when you're talking about the transcendentals of goodness and beauty and truth, like I'm definitely a truth and a beauty person, I would say primarily. And those two kind of fight for which one draws me the most, I would say. But in those conversations, I was learning things that I had never learned about the church in particular, about the church's teachings around morality, um, like sexual morality and justice and like all of these kind of things that had never, I had never really learned and they made sense. Like, and I started to think about this whole lens that I was looking at my life through 
And we uh, actually had a life night one time on confession. And I was like, oh, shoot, maybe I should go to confession because it's been a little while. Like I had not been to confession in um, like years and years and years, probably since actually my first um, kind of confession, really. And so I was like, I should go back to confession. And so we had confessions that night and I went to confession totally chickened out and was just like, um, I did drugs once and my sister own <laughs> <laughs> like nothing, you know, nothing that was actually of substance or really true about my own sin and my own like need for forgiveness, you know? So after that, for the next two weeks, I had no peace. I had no peace. It was like, I knew like now I can say I know the Holy Spirit was convicting me and really just poking me, like drawing me. Um, but at the time I was like, I just, I guess, okay, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. So finally on a Saturday before mass, because I didn't realize you could make an appointment with a priest for confession. So if anybody is listening to this and you feel like drawn to go back to confession, it's been a while, you can make an appointment with a priest to do that so that you're not rushed for time. And you know, you the can line, do it. In your own case. It's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. There's not I, 20 people who are like, what did they do? Why are they taking 20 minutes? What? Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Exactly. Exactly. So I went on a Saturday before mass, the priest was late and I was like, nope, I'm going to, I got to do it. So I'm like, oh, okay, father, can I, can I go to confession? And he says, ah, sure. You're not too big a sinner. And he's just kidding. And I almost threw up. <laughs> oh gosh. Like, oh, but I no. was like, no, no. Okay. Okay. We're going, we're doing it. We're going. There's stuff great. There, <laughs> You're like, I'm oh, sure. you just wait. <laughs> That's right. You don't even know what's coming your way, father. <laughs> My we'll whole see. life of sin. Which incidentally, this is not a funny thing, but he did leave the priesthood six months after that time. So I'm not, I did not have anything to do with that. <laughs> but I was like, at first when I heard it, I was like, oh my gosh, did I mess him up for the, like, no, 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 that's not how it works, Aaron. You don't have that much power. That's good. <laughs> Anyways, so it was like probably 15 minutes before mass. And so we went into the confessional and I just word vomited everything because I knew I had in those two weeks, I had been really doing a thorough examination of conscience and I knew all the things that I needed to confess and I knew how to confess them because we had that life night talking about kind and number and how to make a good confession. So I did it and it was like, yeah, word vomit, just everything. And when he said the words of absolution, for me, that was the moment. It was like I could feel this physical weight lifting off of my shoulders that I didn't even know that I was carrying. Mm -hmm. And it was like the presence of God, like meeting God there as a person and knowing in the depths of my bones how loved I was and how forgiven I was, that everything was was forgiven. And it was like meeting. Um, sometimes I describe it like, like if you hear people talk a lot about somebody, whatever it is, and then you feel almost like you kind of know that person because people have spoken so much about them. But it's a whole different thing meeting that person, especially somebody who is um, like, I don't know, like Mother Teresa or something like probably all of us have a sense of 
of like the goodness of Mother Teresa and her holiness and her smile and her, you know, all of those kind of things. But to meet her, I have heard of the experiences of people who have met her and how transformative it was for them, you know, because because just coming in contact with that holiness of someone who is so close to the Lord is transformative. So then for me, it was like that, but it was like the Lord himself, you know, of like this person that I always believed in, in some kind of abstract way, but then like personally, you know, meeting him and, and it was like, it changed my whole lens, everything that I looked at about my life from that day forward was changed. Not, not everything in terms of my own, um, I cannot say that I did not sin after that point in time, because I'm sure nobody would believe that anyways. Um, but but it was like the lens that I looked at life with really did change after that time. And so I started to look at all of these teachings of the church and what it meant for my life, like how I was called to live. And then I started to ask this question, instead of asking, what do I want? I was asking, Lord, what do you want for me? Um, and I had this trust that I didn't have before that he actually had a plan for my life and that he would lead me somewhere that he would, he was bringing me somewhere that was good and that his plan was good and for my good, you know, not to crush me or anything like that. So, yeah. So after that, I, um, I moved to Ottawa with my family and I was working as a youth minister for a while. Um, I joined a religious order in Ottawa for a little while because I had this sense after my conversion soon after it I was like mm, I think it's just best that I become a nun because that's obviously the thing to do when you love Jesus is you become a nun. <laughs> so like I don't know if you did you did you find that like after your because you were already dating somebody at the time right I was actually married Oh, you were married. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which actually, it's funny because I didn't even share. I didn't share a ton about this in my in my mm. story, but like, yes, yes, mm. yeah. Mm. I had such an experience. Like, even when you were just so beautifully sharing what that felt like for you, and you've said it so perfectly, I felt it like brought me to my moments yes. where I've just like felt this. You just know you're like in the presence of mm -hmm. the Lord and yeah. it changed everything for me. And it was in adoration, actually, the mm -hmm. first time I went to adoration. And I just, it just totally just rocked me mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'll never be the same, like yeah. for sure. It was like, I knew for sure that he was there and yeah. I had encountered him. Um, yeah. And literally, yeah, the weeks following, I, I describe it of like this, like waterfall of like grace. Like it felt mm. like a bucket of grace just like yeah. dumped on me. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was like, it was like, or like you're taking a stereo and just like turning it way up. It yes. was like grace on grace on grace on grace and mm -hmm. I just like didn't even know how to I honestly didn't even know how to handle it like for for yeah. weeks um yeah and yeah there were times where I was like <gasps> like was I supposed to be like a cloistered nun like I could literally just like be in <laughs> yeah. prayer like all day and I would be yeah, happy yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah. Then eventually, yeah, the Lord, mm-hmm. like, the Lord sorts it out, which, That's right. I'm, which is what you're getting to. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Here. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. I don't know. I was, I was joking with a friend one time, and like, anybody who is kind of like who had a new conversion or like a power con powerful conversion should probably be locked up for about six months just until the like because the I mean or just start a podcast like yeah hello. oh that's, yeah that's, 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 that's right nice. exactly you just gotta get a, get the zeal out somehow not to get a bad thing but man yeah it takes a while like when there's like that much grace and they're like things are so do so new and so like it, yeah it's like weird for people around you in a sense to be like yeah are you insane like are you having a mental breakdown? What's like, no, I just want to talk about Jesus. <laughs> I know it's so like, true. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. Rach. Yeah. Like, I don't know what's going on with you, but uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's yeah. hard. I mean, I, I would love to hear as you talk about what happened next, just mm-hmm. like how you navigated it too, because it's it's really hard. Like, yeah. for me, it was really difficult and still is in some ways mm-hmm. difficult because it's like everything changed mm-hmm. in in a moment yeah 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 and then but then your life is still the same totally yeah and so it's like how do you even like reconcile these yeah. like literally i was just in adoration before this mm. at asking the lord like just that like about different yeah. things like how do i do this like I need you to show me because I don't understand like I'm having like I have these deep prayer experiences and they're just like so incredible Mm -hmm. and then I just go walk back out into like my life and it's so starkly like different than I know so it's just like how do you even navigate it you know and that's what we're called to like do Mm -hmm. but how you know I'm like Lord help me (laughs) Yeah, I know. See, these are the benefits now of like, because I'm whatever, because I'm older than 40, I feel like I can give all the sage wisdom because I I want all the wisdom, all the mentoring, all the wisdom. So (laughs) good. I think it was like, it was interesting because after I had my conversion, my relationship, particularly with my sister, like my parents were practicing Catholic. So actually it was just kind of helpful. Your dad. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got it. Yeah. And so like we could have, like, it actually, I think, um, helped even bolster their faith, you know, like, because when you have when you can have those conversations and you know so that that was good but with my sister she had kind of pulled away from the faith because she got to a place in high school where she was like living a bit of a double life and then had to decide like am I doing the church thing or am I going to do the party secular kind of thing like because I don't feel like I can authentically do both and then she chose kind of the not the church way she chose the kind of secular way so I remember her saying at one point um that she that she wished I had never changed And so to have that, but then at the same time, I'm like, there's a part of that that's like, I mean, her, you know, like whatever's going on with her, but there was also a part of that that I actually had to hear and know that, um, because there was something in me, I think that I felt like this gift that I had been given that I didn't want to squander it, but how I thought about how I thought I could squander it was to not try and make everybody around me Catholic. Like 
I felt like if I didn't do that, like if I didn't convert people or I didn't, you know, then I somehow was squandering this God that this gift that God gave me. And it took me a while to like, first of all, to just chill out and relax a little bit, like <laughs> just relax, you know, and also even in ministry to really yeah. realize that it is the Lord. It is the Lord who does the work. It is the like. I am a witness. I need to be prepared to speak about Jesus and the reason for the hope that is found in me. But I also need to, like the Lord, everybody places their identity in something, right? Everybody does. Our identity is we are called to be sons and daughters of God. That is our identity. However, the reality is, is that if somebody's not there, even if they're practicing Catholic, but their identity is in something, whether it's their money or their being a mom or their a soccer star or their whatever, whatever the identity is, um, the Lord doesn't ask them to give up that identity outside of his loving arms if that makes mm -hmm. sense. So like, because that is like violent almost and traumatizing, like to let go of all of the things that, that you have defined your, like, that's the, that's the roots of an existential crisis in a way. So, but what I've, what I found, like what I experienced, but also how I think he works um, or how I've seen him work is that he reveals our identity. And as he reveals our identity to us, we can let go of those things which are chaining us, which are not our identity, which are untrue, right? And that is gentle, even if it's, even if it's rapid or even if it's like, harsh like like something that's sudden but because it's from him and in the loving arms of the father it's it's gentle and the lord works like a bruised reed he will not break and the the person who is in a life of sin and chained to an identity that is not of god is a bruised reed <laughs> like yeah. right so that was like even with those years of ministry and that that's like one of the things that that I think has been most helpful for me to see about how the Lord works and how he's calling me to work is I think two things. One is that the Lord is in it for the long game, like in my life and in the lives of, of other people. It doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that he can't do sudden things or that he can't move quickly, but his typical way of working in our lives is slowly purifying us, is slowly revealing the truth about things so that we are not crushed under the weight of our own stupidity and sin, you know? Um, and so if that's the way the Lord works in lives, then that's generally the way that he's asking me to work in other lives or to, or to like be present to others is with gentleness and with love, mm -hmm. but also with the caveat that, that there's this other, like the Holy spirit, right? This, this docility to the Holy spirit, because only the Holy spirit knows what a person needs, whether it is a good swift kick in the butt or whether it is the gentlest and most tender, slow, approach and so if i'm going to love somebody as the lord wants to love them in any time then i need to be docile to the holy spirit because the holy spirit is the one who knows that <laughs> wow know? oh my gosh the amount of wisdom <laughs> i'm gonna just like record that clip and just listen to it over and over again that was so, so good that was so so good and yes i've actually had i feel like 
in prayer, the Lord showed me mm. like a like a rock in the ocean, mm. just like how the waves like, you know, yeah. like it's a slow process of mm-hmm. like layers of things that are like happening and shifting yes. and like it's at work, even if you can't see it or feel it yeah. like to your naked eye, yeah. but like it's happening all the time. And yeah. yeah, I think it's just so hard for us though, especially in today's world because <laughs> oh, it's yeah. so instant and just you're so – and you're so surrounded by that all the time mm-hmm. that then when you do experience the Lord, yeah, it's it's like so – it's so starkly different than what you're experiencing in the world all the yeah. time. So yeah. it's just like yeah. this constant battle of like mm-hmm. reconcil- reconciling the two. But yeah, but yeah so how did you – Oh, yeah. Did, what was your – journey like after stuff yeah yeah so after you I don't know we're basically like on fire and then we're slowly kind of realizing God was like doing his work in you of Mm -hmm. like helping you to surrender different things realizing it's up to him and not all up to you Mm -hmm. but Yeah. yeah so what happened from from there yeah. I mean, I think what really started to happen was that um, when I was working in ministry and I was living in Ottawa, I really started to grow in in my prayer life, like growing deeper in my prayer life and what it what it meant to pray and what it means to listen to to, to be able to hear the Lord's voice, which is something I think we don't talk about enough, because if somebody is is newly converted or newly has started praying, it's not like often anyways, that immediately you're like, OK, voice like noises from heaven in my, like. I know what the Lord is, you know, it's like our heart, it takes time to tune to his voice, to how he speaks to us, you know, and it grows over time. Um, So that was one thing that was happening. And then also, yeah, I met this order, this religious order in Ottawa, and um, they had a charism for, uh, for the, the cross, right? Like this was kind of the centrality of their, of their spirituality in the order. And so I went on a discernment retreat with them. And it was a new order. So I actually was like the first person to join after the founders, after the foundresses kind of put it together. Um, And on the discernment retreat, um, the sister asked me to pray with the passion. And I had this really profound, like very deep kind of um, prayer time with, um, yeah, with Christ and his crucifixion and all of those kind of things. And I was telling her about this experience. And then she asked me, um, what would it look like if Jesus proposed to you? And immediately, as soon as she said that, I had this image in my heart of him on on the cross, like from that meditation and him saying, this is my proposal for you. And I was like, it was seemed so clear at the time that obviously like this community has a charism of, you know, particular and particular to the cross, which obviously we all do as Catholic, like as Christians, that's <laughs> central to our faith. So, um, but they, I was like, yeah, okay, good. This is good to join. And in the, the year and a half that I was there, I grew more in in prayer that like I am so grateful for that experience because we had an hour of personal prayer every morning of just silent like you are sitting in front of the blessed sacrament that's that's it you know some spiritual reading maybe or something but other than that it's like dialogue with the Lord um and that's in addition to praying like the liturgy of the hours and things like that so um unfortunately when I mean for lots of reasons like it's a new order I was like still a few years from my conversion, you know, so I still like kind of a newbie really in, in 
being a practicing Catholic. Um, so when I left, it was actually a really painful leaving. And I left on the feast day of St. John of the Cross, funny enough, which is he's he's like, for those who don't know, he um, wrote uh, The Dark Night of the Soul. And he his whole kind of spirituality is obviously of the cross, John of the Cross, just in case he didn't catch the you know, connection there. Um, and after that, I, I did kind of a bunch of different things. Like I went and um, worked in, um, I did net ministries for a year. I went, came back to Ottawa for a little while. I went and worked as the director of youth and young adult ministry in um, Winnipeg. And then I got this job as the director of, of campus ministry at the Newman Center at the University of Toronto. And in all of that time, like the experience of, of kind of leaving that religious order planted some very, very deep wounds in my heart, which I also think is good to talk about or to, to kind of acknowledge when we talk about vocation, because sometimes we like have this picture in our head that it's like sunshine and puppy dogs and everything is going to be like a romantic walking toward like, it, but often it's not like that. And often there is pain and frustration and, you know, slowness and all of those kind of things. So for me, um, it ended up kind of really starting when I was in Winnipeg that, um, that this prayer that I had, I was like, Lord, I feel like there's something between us, like a veil that's between us. And the scripture that always would come is like, your walls are ever before me. Your walls are ever before me, but not in a condemning way from him at all at all. It was like a wreck, like a, like a yes from him. Like, yes, there's something here. I know it's there. I'm working on it. I love you. You know, like, mm -hmm. so is that kind of reassurance. And um, after I moved to Toronto, I went on a retreat with the sisters of life uh, who are so beautiful. If you don't know them, you just look up pictures of them and you will smile from ear to ear. They're so beautiful. <laughs> right. Yeah. totally yeah. and uh yeah so they they had a retreat for young women so I went and the first night of the retreat one of the sisters said like sometimes we just don't ask the Lord for what we need like what is the desire of your heart and ask him for that um and so I, I was like okay and so I we went into the chapel and I was in there we had adoration and I just asked the Lord like Lord I want to know your love in the depths of my bones and he did it like he took that veil that had been there and he ripped it like he ripped it open in this way that like it's hard to even explain, you know, but it was like this new deeper grace, this new deeper love, this new deeper intimacy. And as soon as that happened, there was still a lot of healing to be done. But when that happened, I really started to feel this um, this call again to religious life and to like belonging to him. So I started visiting some religious orders like I visited the Sisters of Life. I visited the Religious Sisters of Mercy of Alma um, and uh, and a few other orders and it was like the Lord was like shutting all of these doors like not here not here and again it was so painful in a lot yeah. of ways because I was like Lord I am trying to give myself to you and I feel like you are asking me to and you're shutting the door in my face like mm -hmm. I don't know what you're doing um and so eventually I actually had 
known about consecrated virginity because somebody else who was working in ministry in Toronto was a consecrated virgin. I was at her consecration. And while I was at her consecration, I was thinking that seems like the worst vocation in the entire world because you don't have any husband to squash your bugs, but also you don't have a religious community to like change your diaper when you're like 90 years old. Like there seems like a terrible vocation, but um, but really the Lord kind of put it back on my heart. And then I started actually, like there was an openness there to it. Um, and I started, I talked to Bishop Wasano, who is the auxiliary bishop in Toronto, who is responsible for the Ordo Virginum is the, is the Latin for it. And there is in, in each diocese, it is the bishop, the archbishop or his delegate who is, um, who's responsible for the, the order of virgins. And so the more I started kind of going through formation and praying with things and, and going through the whole process of preparation, it was like a, a key and a lock for me, really. And um, it was like all the things that I desired, like um, the freedom to be able to respond to the Holy Spirit in every moment, in every situation, just to follow the Lord wherever he goes, was like, this really is the only vocation that that is possible in in this particular way because a religious life you you have obedience to your superior if you are married you well know rachel that you can't just take off on your spouse whenever you feel like it okay. especially you know once kids come up like they, there is a, a commitment that you make to that kind of stability um yeah. And so this, this vocation is like, it really is the fulfillment of my own heart. And interesting that when it was time for me to be consecrated, um, I was looking at dates and I was like, okay, Lord, the criteria I have for dates, I want it to be sometime in the, like the fall when students are around from, from the chaplaincy so they can, they can join. Um, I want it to be on, on a weekend so that my family will be able to come. And I want it to be on a meaningful feast day to me. And so I was looking at dates and I was like, okay, September 14th is the feast day of the exaltation of the Holy Cross. This is how you propose to me, wow. Lord. And it's also my baptism anniversary. No. Yeah. It was also your baptism? Yes. September 14th. Of what? I know. Wow. Right? Yeah. Wow. So yeah, I just love those things. Like it was made for you from the beginning. Mm -hmm. It's true. And even and then, like how he revealed that the yeah. cross. Yeah. So early on in your story. Yeah. And how it almost actually caused some confusion. Mm -hmm. But ultimately you had to go through that discernment. Yeah. You know what I mean? To realize that mm -hmm. that wasn't what you ultimately yeah. wanted or mm -hmm. would be yeah feel called to mm -hmm. yeah and i'm 100% like the lord knows me well like he knows how easy it is for me to kind of second guess things or to doubt things sometimes or to like question my decisions and he very firmly had to show me that marriage is not is not the way that i'm calling you even though i kind of knew i wasn't being called to marriage and then the religious life isn't the way that he was calling me even though i kind of knew that you know like being a nun was not what he was asking of me um and and i mean in his mercy like even in his mercy of having me be older i was consecrated when i was 38 um but you can't even enter into formation generally in a lot of dioceses unless you're at least 25 years old because it's not like religious life in that I don't take vows 
Um, and you don't have like a temporary consecration to kind of start out with to test the waters, you are consecrated. It's like blessing a rosary. And that is blessed forever. It is blessed forever, blessed and set apart forever. So they want to make sure that they're getting somebody who's very mature in their faith, mature in their personhood, you know, um, mm -hmm. so that they're not going to be a wacko and just go off and do like weird things because it's a public vocation in the church, you know, so there is a responsibility to mm -hmm. not cause scandal, for example, and things like that. So yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. What a story. This it's is crazy. I'm just like blown away because gosh, I feel like it just I mean, I know you went through so much in between, but just mm -hmm. like the big highlighted moments of like you coming back and how he caught your heart's attention. Mm -hmm. Like I'm thinking about like the plate of cookies that I know. Just, like it's just so wild how then now you fast forward to this like really deep and just beautiful mm -hmm. relationship that you have with the Lord. And it's just amazing. Like, it's, it's just amazing how it's, he does that. It's crazy to me, even how it continues to unfold from there, because like, because even like one of the things that drew me back to the church was the church's teachings, like the very solid, solid, beautiful theology that is um, that is academically sound, you know, things like that. And, and the fact that I got to do a, like a master's degree in theology and, and even this theme of suffering, you know, like I do have, I know that I have this mission of suffering, even in my, even in my vocation in my life and what the Lord is, is doing. Like personally, I have suffered a lot from fibromyalgia. I have suffered, like I've, I've had to come back and live with my family because I can't, um, I can't cook for myself a lot of the time. I have trouble cleaning sometimes. It's, if, um, if people are not familiar with what fibromyalgia is, it's basically like a um, neuro muscular kind of thing where your body senses pain where there's no reason for it so like mm. your muscles hurt your joints hurt there's stiffness there's um, extreme disabling fatigue and this thing called fibro fog that often happens which is kind of like you know when you get low blood sugar and you feel like your brain is just stuttering like you're like I can't form sentences right now. Like, I don't know what's happening. It's kind of like that, um, but pretty frequent, you know? So, like, that's been part of suffering. I've had family members who have suffered a lot in in recent years, and that's been really difficult. Like, there have been these kind of themes of, of suffering, but then also what the Lord has brought me to, like, my thesis topic, the theology of the suffering body, he definitely was, like, he kind of placed that in my lap um, being in part of this podcast on suffering um, that that was like came about through like crazy means. And so I know and right now, like I'm trying to take some of the stuff from my thesis and some of my own experience and put it into a book on suffering, on how to suffer well. And part of that is because I think we like you said before, we have this culture of comfort and we don't realize, I didn't, and I think most of us don't really realize how much that impacts us and how much we can run from suffering in our own lives. And the truth is that if we are afraid of suffering, we will never be free. We will never be free if we're afraid of suffering, you know? But again, the Lord plays the long game in that too. Like he teaches us how to suffer 
well, you know, and I think part of that is learning about what redemptive suffering is and how the Lord has linked suffering to love um, and all of those kind of things in the head area. And then part of it is also the, the heart area of allowing him to transform our hearts so that we can come to this place. Like some of the saints talk about like, you know, they have crazy quotes like, if you suffer, know that it's because the Lord loves you and has given you the most beautiful thing. And it sounds mm. insane. But now, like, I've had little glimpses of how that's true. And and so it's like, like, he wants that for us. You know, he wants freedom for us. He wants all of those kind of things. And for us to participate in salvation, like, mm. Yeah. God. <laughs> yes. And it's so hard. It's so hard. But like, mm. it's how he purifies us. I mean, mm. because if, if we didn't suffer, we just wouldn't change. We wouldn't mm. do anything. We wouldn't be called to greater holiness. Like he, he permits those things because it makes our virtue grow stronger. Like it makes mm -hmm. us grow closer to, to him. Mm -hmm. And that's why, yeah, when you read the saints and you're like, what? But it's like in reality, when we have trials or setbacks or mm -hmm. suffering, we're being tested and yeah. our, our virtue is being perfected in us yeah. or, you know, or we succumb to the temptation mm -hmm. to just fall into despair um, and that yep. we have this choice whenever we're faced with suffering, you know, whether we're going to enter into this with the Lord mm -hmm. and be like, all right, Lord, you're permitting this. So how can I respond to yeah. you? How can I respond yeah. to what you're inviting me to mm -hmm. in this moment? Yeah. Or we're going to just blame it on him. And, yeah. you know, and so yeah. it's just it's a hard process of learning that and getting to that point, though, because mm -hmm. you can even know it intellectually. Oh, Yeah. But then when you're actually faced with suffering, you're yes. like a hundred percent. Then you're <laughs> yeah, this running is the last thing I it in the opposite direction. You know, actually Father Jacques Philippe, um, for, for anybody who wants to like, I don't know, read more about that. And beautiful book is called interior freedom mm. um i don't know if you've read that one before but he's i mean he's amazing anyways father jacques philippe right but he totally talks about that about these stages of freedom like that when we encounter difficulty our first instinct is just to like run away from it but then there's a deeper place that we can come to where we can like see okay and we can kind of resign ourselves to it and do but there's actually a deeper freedom than that which is where we are able to cling to the cross out of out of love even though and it's there's like a freedom there that's so beautiful you know and um mm -hmm. and also even in our culture like i i personally think that the powerful witness of a christian who suffers well is particularly needed in our time um where there's so much running from comfort and you're talking about euthanasia and abortion and all of these yeah. things if you have a christian somebody who's a christian and who can suffer in joy with joy then there is immediately something in that that causes people to be like how is that possible like how is that possible you know so like yeah. evangelization, it's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Incredible. Oh, gosh. I could listen to you all day, but we should probably. <laughs> you know, I was just going. looking at the time. I was like, oh, my I know, gosh. I know. I know. We, could, we could go on for a while here. It's so good and so rich. I hope everyone's enjoying it that's watching. But yes, I will ask my last question and then we will break. And please pop your questions into the chat for Aaron. Mm -hmm. 
we will take a little break and then come back and answer any questions that anyone has. So if you've been watching, if you have a comment for Erin, if something about her story stood out, or if you have a question about consecrated virginity or what her journey was like um, at any point, ask it in the chat now. Um, But the last question we love to ask um, everyone who comes on is, can you share with us one scripture verse Mm -hmm. that either speaking to you recently or that played a impact or foundational role in your journey and why? Yeah. So I have a recent one. It's actually from an episode of our podcast. Um, uh, It's the for our Advent series one, um, I forget which one it was, but anyways, it was the second last one we did before Christmas. Um, and we had Anya Krishek on and she talked about scripture, about the passage um, where it says, though he was in the form of God, um, Jesus did not equate equality with God as something to be grasped at. Um, so that, uh, but actually when you look at the scriptural translation, it would be more accurate to say because he was in the form of God, Jesus did, did not equate quality with God is something to be grasped at. But really the message for that for me is like that God didn't necessarily just kind of choose to become one of us and that he chooses to love us and that he chooses to give himself to us. But actually it is his very nature to become man and pour himself out of out in love for us and die. It's his very nature to give himself in love, to never stop giving himself in love for us. And for me, I found that's hugely important because there is like the perfectionist streak in me that wants to earn his love. There's like the parts of me that feels like he loves me more when I'm praying, you know, as I should be or as well as I should be, which is total malarkey. Like that's Mm. not God, you know? So that for me, has been so transformative of like seeing seeing that actually God, there is no possibility of God holding his love back from me ever. Like it, it's totally against his nature. The world, the universe would cease to exist if that was the case, you know, which I just found yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. Gosh, that is so good. Yes. I think we so often like apply human oh. traits to God all the time. And we're like, you have to, you have to work like that. Cause that's how I work. Right. And it's like, you I created you, like, not hmm. the other way around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. But another thing that blew my mind, which you I'm sure have heard. Um, but when I heard that, um, God's like attracted to the places where we are hurting the most, mm. like he's attracted to our faults. He's attracted to the, the shortcomings that we have like yeah. and that actually that draws him closer to us mm-hmm. and like I don't know that just blew my mind when I heard that because I think in our mind we think yeah. because of this I have to hide this from God or I can't mm-hmm. like bring this out but the truth is he already knows it sees it and is actually drawn to it because he mm-hmm. wants to heal it yeah and so like if we can just bring that to him amen then he can work but if we're if we're we're constantly hiding it away or we're ashamed or we we think that he doesn't want to see it then we're just yeah not we're we're not allowing him to work totally um, the way because those places cause us pain right like those things cause us pain and he because in his mercy he sees those places of pain and he wants to be a father to us like 
Yeah, totally. I yes. love that. So good. All right. So pop your questions in. And when we come back, we will take some questions for Aaron. So if you're watching live, ask us, ask, ask me anything. Well, I talked a really long time. So that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back. Enjoying the incredible conversion story so far. I wanted to take a minute to tell you this incredible story about James and Maureen. 10 years ago, James was volunteering at a Catholic high school retreat. Across the table from him sat Maureen, attending the same event. Little did either of them know that they were actually sitting across from their future spouse. Years later, James downloaded Catholic Match. And that was when Maureen messaged him. As the Holy Spirit would have it, it just happened to be the last day of Christmas, the baptism of our Lord. When she saw his profile, she recognized his face from all those years ago. And what do you know, 10 years later, the Holy Spirit brought these two back together for the sacrament of marriage. Catholic Match is the largest, largest dating app designed specifically for single Catholics. It's bringing together real Catholics across the world right now. From video chats to direct message, this app makes it easy to find and connect with other faithful Catholics that are out there. And the best part, it's totally free. <laughs> Visit catholicmatch.com slash to grow good to create a free account today. All right, we're Sweet. back. All right. Uh, all right. So we do have one question here mm -hmm. in the chat. Um, and hopefully we get another one. So if you're watching live, I see a few of you watching live. Feel free to ask Aaron a question in the chat. But we have this question here that says, do you meet with other consecrated religious or is it an individual vocation? Mm -hmm. So this is a good question. So there is an order called the Order of Virgins or the Ordo Virginum um, in Latin. And so in a sense, we're all, um, all consecrated virgins are part of that order, but it's not an order in the same way that the Sisters of Life or, um, or the Dominican Sisters would be. Uh, we are all uh, individuals, essentially. So we live our own lives. The um, Consecrated virgins are allowed under canon law to form associations together, for example. So if I wanted to live with a few other consecrated virgins and we have a house together or something and have a common prayer time, we're totally allowed to do that. However, most consecrated virgins live on their own or with family or just in regular situations. Um, but you are, as a consecrated virgin, connected with your diocese. So in a sense, that means that Bishop Boissonneau, for me, in Toronto, he would be like my spiritual father. And so he is tasked with caring for the virgins who are um, kind of under his under his fatherhood, which doesn't mean financially. So we support ourselves financially. Most consecrated virgins will have um, jobs and, you know, homes or apartments or things like that. Um, a lot of them work for the church, but some are... Um, lawyers or doctors or uh, theologians or all kinds like there there's consecrated virgins who are teachers everything so they can basically do whatever kind of job they want um, and uh, but we do kind of meet together semi-regularly so we like I'm friends with 
the consecrated virgins of Toronto. So we'll like touch base or things like that. But then we meet officially with Bishop Boissonneau two or three times a year. He'll say mass for us. And then, um, and then we have time to update each other. And then we might talk about, um, I don't know, some theological thing or something like that. And then we also meet once a year with Cardinal Collins, um, who is the, so in the Archdiocese of Toronto, he is the chief shepherd. And then he has five auxiliary bishops or four auxiliary bishops. It's a big diocese. So we'll meet with Cardinal Collins once a year as well. Um, yeah. I hope that answers your question. That is fascinating. I mm -hmm. And do you know, is there, because you mentioned what, how many, you said there's thousand. There's about 2000 in the world. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So do you know the other like locations of where those are? Mm -hmm. or? Yeah. So that's kind of an interesting thing of like, like, so funny enough, in May of 2020, there was supposed to be a gathering of consecrated virgins at the Vatican, which didn't happen because of COVID. So that oh, got canceled. That would have been amazing. Though. I know. It's supposed to be, I think they have it every few years, though. So I'm okay. like, okay, Lord, next time we good. And two of my friends who were in formation at the time are now going, one is consecrated, one will be consecrated in June. So they would be able to come, which is really exciting. Um, yeah, so the um, it's it's kind of been fun to see, anyways, from this end of things because there's two thousand in the world. There's about or two thousand or five thousand. No, there might be five thousand in the world, and then there's about two hundred in Canada right now, um, and uh, and there are like I know that there were so many women coming forward at one point that so many bishops were going to um, to the congregation in Rome that's responsible for like religious life and all of those kind of things and being like we have these women who are talking about <laughs> consecrated virginity and we have no idea what to do with them because there was no nothing out there was no aside from the right itself there were no requirements about age there were no actual requirements for whether they had to study theology or how they would be formed or what happens right. if somebody is consecrated and then leaves or commits public scandal like how how do they do that so the vatican ended up putting out this document called ecclesia sponsa imago which is so beautiful you could just google consecrated virginity vatican and i'm and it will come up um but it talks about everything it talks about the history of it it talks about the theology of the order it talks about um the characteristics of women who um, should be admitted to the order. It talks about formation. It talks about ongoing formation. It talks about dispensation. It talks about like everything is in that document. So, and they did that because there were so many women who were coming forward. So wow. I think that in the next years, there will be a huge number. And many countries now have like, like the US, for example, has a, uh, has a, like a professional kind of organization for consecrated virginity. So they do a lot of discernment retreats or things like that. And in Canada, I hope we have one soon. Um, yeah, I think that might be in the works, which would be great. So some countries have that, some countries don't, but I think most will at some point. Wow, that yeah. is so amazing just to see how the Holy Spirit, I love looking at stuff like that, like how the Holy Spirit's working like across a generation. I know. Or just like the high level things that God's doing that like mm -hmm. we don't even, yeah. we can't even really comprehend or see with our own eyes. It's just so, that's just amazing. I know, it's so cool. Yeah, that is 100%. so cool. 
Uh, Mariella earlier in the chat, like this, she just said a little emoji, prayer emoji, heart emoji, cross emoji, but it was during the moment that you were describing that encounter with the Lord Mm. um, in confession. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was really moved by the way that you described that. Mm. And uh, thank you, Mariella, for sharing your. yeah. Your movement as well. I'm glad that spoke to you. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what? Honestly, in all the years of youth and young adult and campus ministry that I've done, I can say this firmly now. I have seen thousands of people go to confession, like on retreats or like whatever, and not a single time have I ever seen anybody come back and say, I wish I hadn't done that. Yeah. Like it's exactly the opposite. Like they come back and there's like this deep joy and like gratitude that they that they were able to to go you know to go to confession like this weight lifted off their shoulders or this encounter with the lord or this sense of new freedom or this you know it's those kind of things it's it's not the weight of judgment or anything like that you know the things that we think will be waiting for us in confession are not waiting for us in confession yes it's a place of healing yeah. and for the lord to like just set us free so now <laughs> I, I like love confession <laughs> like I love it now it just it's like mm-hmm. the greatest gift it really truly is and it's so yeah. powerful mm-hmm. what it does in the spiritual life um, yeah yeah. Well, absolutely. thank you so much, Erin. This has been amazing. Your story is so beautiful. And just, I think, I mean, I took so much from it. Just like, even just the slow work of God in your life too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because the things that you were describing were years apart and there were shut doors and setbacks mm-hmm. and challenges and yeah. struggles and confusion. And I loved how you just mm-hmm. shared all of that along the way. Um, because I think that it's part of every single one of our stories and mm-hmm. God's working even in those moments where we're, we're wondering, you know, yeah. are you there? Are you listening? What's going on? But really there's a greater plan that he's, yeah, he's putting into place. We yeah. just are in yeah. it so we can't see what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of my favorite things about your journey, but where can we find you? Where can people go to, to find you in the podcast and all of that? Yes. So um, I'm uh, at E Kinsella, E-K-I-N-S-E-L-L-A-A on Instagram. Um, but the podcast is in the thicketpodcast.com. And we have like all of the episodes there and um, and like we're on we have our episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so you could just search for us on wherever but everything is on the website if you're looking for us and then on instagram we're at in the thicket podcast so you can follow us and i do reels for the podcast which are ridiculous they're so so fun (laughs) i love reels i love watching rachel's too like you're they're so funny when there's one that comes out i'm like yes good (laughs) I find them so funny. funny. I crack myself up with them. I I love them too. (laughs) I love them so much. So yeah. So you can come give us a follow. That would be awesome. Um, Yeah. Share. Do you want to share a little bit about what the podcast is? I know it's for the suffering, but do you, what do you, what's like every episode? Yeah. So basically we, um, the idea was actually Rachel D'Souza. um, She was the one who kind of thought of, of a podcast first and it was mostly coming from this thing of sometimes we're walking around in the catholic world and like how are you doing like oh good the lord jesus is just blessing my life all the-. like okay get okay all right that's and that may be true but sometimes our pain gets like 
covered up or we we cover it up and we're just these walking wounded people all mm. over the place. Um, but really, there is like John Paul II talks about solidarity in, in suffering between those who suffer. And so just like this, like listening to somebody's conversion story for us, it's kind of like inviting people to, to share their own story of suffering because it can be something that somebody who might be having a similar or even not similar suffering might really hear echoed in from their own experience. And there's some kind of solace in that. And then also just to help us understand what it means to, to suffer well, you know, to talk about, um, yeah, lots of different aspects of suffering and what it means to suffer well. So, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And the conversations are, although it sounds super depressing, it is not <laughs> depressing because we are funny <laughs> and we try and always leave each episode with hope as opposed to just yeah. despair, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because I love what you were saying about just like exploring redemptive suffering and the power mm -hmm. that suffering has in and through Christ. Like when yeah. we're when we're able to give our suffering over to Him, mm -hmm. and I love that aspect of the truth of the of our faith. Like it's just so beautiful that yeah. suffering is not meaningless. Like mm -hmm. that that we can offer it up for yeah. others and for ourselves and also we're learning from it and God's purifying us through it. Yeah. And so ultimately it is for our good, even though it, it's so hard to, uh, mm -hmm. to see that when we're in it or when yeah, we're going totally. through it. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, thank absolutely. you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been so much fun this and I could chat with you another hour. <laughs> I know. That's always the way when you're like talking about the things of the Lord, you know? Oh, it's just like time just like disappears, I feel I like. It's so true. It's so true. Well, thanks so much for having me, Rachel, and for doing this, like this whole ministry that you're doing is such a gift. I think it's such a gift to so many people. And I'm like excited. It's fun to see things like you and Yes Catholic and like some of these other like really cool accounts, like going up and up in like followers and you know like it's just it's such a beautiful thing the lord is doing so many good things through you so oh thank I'm you so just much to be a little part <laughs> thank you so much yes keep mm -hmm. praying keep praying for me and for for all for the sure. guests on the mm -hmm. show and that these I stories will. get out to whoever god wishes for them to get out to i mean mm -hmm. it's just amazing to see what he's done already yeah. the messages that i get and the, yeah. it's just wild just yeah. wild like what people people are just finding the show in the middle of a, a, a spiritual crisis mm. and being like like I just had someone messaging me email us um that basically was like I've been in new age for like the last decade right was going through like this crisis oh, that's hard and stumbled upon your podcast stumbled upon <laughs> i know the warning yeah to like all the new age to catholic stories and said like it has just been like really helping her yeah. to hear people's journeys because she feels like she's not alone in it and she's understanding what she got into and mm -hmm. what's happening and trying to like put the pieces together yep. and i was just like reading my email like what like this is wild what's going on just really? how the lord is using this ministry and using yeah. these stories and that's what's so beautiful you just put it out there and it's kind of like you just let the holy spirit like 
that's do right. what he wants to do with it. And yeah. that's what we're doing here. So thanks for joining y'all. Amen. Yeah, it was great to have y'all with us. Yeah, thanks for watching. And thank you, Aaron. Everyone go check out In the Thicket podcast. Mm -hmm. um, it's been such a joy, friend. Yes. Ditto. Me too. All right. We'll do it. I will let we'll you know. Again. Yes, <laughs> we should. Okay. Okay. Bye, friend. Bye. Thank you so much for watching this episode of To Grow Good. I am just so grateful for every single one of you that are listening or watching Please continue to pray for the show. Continue to share the show with others. Um, leave a comment. Go follow us on Instagram. Hit subscribe. Help the channel to grow. This is so much fun chatting with so many amazing Catholics that are out there in the world that are doing these incredible things and that have had these just incredible wild journeys to the truth. The ways the Holy Spirit works to draw each of our hearts in is just, it just never ceases to amaze me. I hope you are enjoying this journey as well. All right, friends. Well, I will, oh, actually, I was about to say I will see you next week, but I actually won't. Sadly, I am traveling next week. So we will have a week off, but we will pick it up the week after with our next conversion story on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. live on YouTube. All right, friend, have a great couple weeks, and I will see you a couple Wednesdays from tonight. Bye, friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of To Grow Good. There are a number of ways you can support this mission. Follow us on Instagram at To Grow Good. Join the email list at togrowgood.com for free weekly devotions written by Catholic women, a monthly newsletter with the most impactful content along my journey home to the church, and a notification each time we upload a new episode. Share this episode with a friend, a family member, a loved one, or a coworker. Leave a written review on Apple Podcasts to help refer the show to others who might be seeking. And you can pray. Pray for this show to reach the souls that God wishes for it to reach. If you are praying for To Grow Good, please be sure to reach out and let me know at togrowgoodpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, you can help to cover the financial costs to create and produce this show. For as little as one ice latte a month, you could join our little community here at To Grow Good, the branches of the vine, in exchange for monthly bonus episodes, gifts from the To Grow Good shop, and more. You can learn more by visiting patreon.com slash to grow good. Thank you so much for being here, friend, and I will see you next time.